chilly. Uh, we're glad you're here tonight. Uh, not sitting around the fireplace and drinking hot chocolate or anything. If you have any, I'll share it with you. We have to. Last time we, we were together, we had kind of come to the end of the 13 propositions that Thomas Campbell had had. And uh, we broke it down in, into really three areas. It's Christ Church and he's head. I think we can all agree there. Unity is to be the order of the day, uh, all based on God's word. And that love must abound at all times. Love for God. Um, uh, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and just for humankind in, in general. But at the time that Thomas Campbell delivered this address, this was in uh, 1809, he closed with this statement in summary of all these propositions. We speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where the Bible is silent. And we ask the question, is, is this a biblical principle? And, and, and does the Bible uh, explicitly state this? And the answer is, is explicitly no. Okay? We went to 1 Peter 4 and 11 and read there. It said, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Explicitly, no. But what it says, when, when we speak, when we speak as the church, we speak as the oracles of God. If we minister, we do it with the ability that God supplies. In other words, it's not only God's church, we're God's tool to be used to serve his purpose uh, here on this earth. And then we read the warning that was given in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 8, where it said, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, now where, where that hits us is that we need to go to the Word, we need to stay with the Word, we need to let the Word speak at all times and in all ways, and then we need to respond to that Word in, in the way that it's given. As our time come, come to a close uh, the, the other day, uh, when was, was it last week? I, I get lost. When, when I'm coming out of the holidays and all that, I still haven't caught up mentally uh, when what's going on. Um, but we talked about a little bit about things that have happened within the church, going back to that first and second century. And, and there, there were things introduced into the church that Scripture never laid out. And the Scripture didn't say, this is the way I want it done. And people kind of took it and run with it. And, and what we saw, an awful lot of that was just a, a convenience it, it, it was literally a convenience. It was easier. Or it was um, more, quote, enjoyable. Um, and and I, I don't know what today's world, that entertainment value is a lot more important than it's ever been to folks. 
And, and, and we forget why we come together sometimes. I'm not talking about us. I, I think we understand it's to study God's truth. But the world forgets what that purpose is. What are some of the issues? Just think about it that when, when, when you're talking to others about Scripture, what, what are the types of things they, they tend to ask you about, about you folks over there? Church of Christ. You ever notice when they say that, they kind of get a sinister sound in their voice? You at the Church of Christ. What kind of youth activities? What kind of youth activities? What kind of youth activities? What do you tell them? Bible study. Do what? Bible study. That's number one right there. That's number one. You know, I jokingly but seriously at the same time, they always ask another church here in town. We always talk about their their VBS, and conveniently, we're always on the same week. Uh, I don't know how that works, but uh, they always ask, "Well, what are y'all going to do?" You know, we're doing this and that and everything, and I just look at them and say, well, "We study the Bible," and they say, "And." Isn't that what God expects us to do? Sure, you know, have a good time. We, we have the, the swim gathering and, you know, little things like that that happen. And, and, and the kids go to some of the uh, youth activities in other places. But what does Scripture tell us to do as individuals and as the church? Teach them. And, 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 and every way we can. Every, every way that we can. What else do they ask? What's going on over there? Church of Christ. Why do you have communion every week? Why do you have communion every week? That, that, that's always a good one. And, and, and what do they tell you? You don't have to. Okay. You don't have to because if you take it too often, what happens? It loses its, its, its focus. And, and I always want to tell them, and I don't, because I, I think it would be perceived negatively. But I've always, always wanted to ask them, or is your, your, your allegiance and dedication to God's service that week? You know? When did the early church gather to break bread? Not only that, Sam, but it was precisely the reason that they had gathered. That, that is the reason they gathered. That, it, I mean, it says when they had gathered together for that purpose. For that purpose to break bread. And, you know, this is the point, I, I, I think, of all the things we might talk about tonight and things we may read and, and places we may go. But what does it take to get you to understand that this is God's word? It is his church paid for by his son. And he established the mode of operation. That's kind of what people are interested in. 
by the example of the apostles in that first century church. And we don't have anything else. We don't. Now, have they ever hit you with this one? Speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where it's silent. Why do y'all have songbooks? Why do you have amplification? I'm not sure this is working every time. I kind of tilt my head. Why do you have air conditioning? That first century church here didn't have an air conditioner. They didn't have electric lights either. They had gas lamps. I'm, I'm sure when Paul was preaching until midnight, I'm sure they had some kind of lights on in there. You know, there, 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 there's a... They had whatever was available. They had what was available to them. And, and, and that's the whole point right there. Our homes are not like they lived in in the first century. Our mode of transportation... The only ones that had a car at that time were the apostles because they were all in one accord. You know? So it, you know, it doesn't, you know, it, it just, some things defy argument. You know, there, there's not an argument about it. There, there's not. You, you, you get into the music issue. And, and instrumental music and mechanical instruments Folks, it, it was in the 5th or 6th century before a, a, an organ or any kind of a musical instrument found its way into Christ's church. Now, 500 years after the founding of the church, before it appeared, and, and you can look at the next 500 years and the next 1,000 years, and most of the religious leaders in almost any denominational group or association or synod or any other thing that you put together question the presence of that. Who, who, who was it? One of the big time preachers in the 1800s that, you know, I love the organ and it stands, you know, it, it needs to be admired in any place but the church is what he said. It, you know, it was Wesley that said that. Was it Wesley that said that? You know, it just, nobody thought it was acceptable. But it became acceptable. Why? Because it just kept happening. It kept happening. If you do something often enough, it, it becomes acceptable. And, 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 and I know that you know, I'm I'm one of those that I, I I don't change easily. You can ask you can ask your wife at school. You know, just because they introduce new policies, I'm I'm not the first one to jump on board and say this is the greatest thing since cotton candy. You know, I I, I don't do things that way. But to my school board member, I willingly accept all. <laughs> 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 way into what used to be 
a name over a door, you knew what you were getting. And it's not that way anymore. It's not that way. My father-in-law referred to McDonald's. You know, the great thing about McDonald's was uniform mediocrity. And, and, and that's the way the church has kind of become out in the world. That they stand not on the principle of God's word, but on the current trend that's attracting people and building large numbers. Now, I, I stand corrected if it's anywhere else, but I want you to go to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 17. And, and, and I want you to read the whole thing in the context in which it's given. It says, Therefore... Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, in the New Testament, until you get to Revelation, which is an entirely different animal than the main body of the operation of the church on a day-to-day -day basis, you find any other reference to anything but vocal music, the human voice. I don't. And if you can find it, please show me. Because I don't run across that. I don't run across that. And somebody said, well, does it make a difference? Well, I know when we're singing with the voice, we're doing it the way Paul wrote and encouraged the church at, the church at Ephesus, which was shared with other churches, to sing the same way. And who am I to question what went on? Why was Paul made an apostle? He, he wasn't like those other guys. He was different. He was different. You ever notice that Paul tended to be the one and when it got hot, who, who was at the forefront that, that bore the brunt of a lot of that? It, it was Paul. I'm not saying the other apostles didn't. But, but you read his letters and what was he doing in just about every one of them. He was putting out fires. Some of them were pretty big fires. You go to Corinth, you know, he, he, had, he had to have a hazmat suit on and everything else because it was hot there. But he stayed right with it. And I can assure you that when Paul spoke, he wasn't doing it to get voted as citizen of the year in whatever city or village he was, he was at. You know, how, how many times did they have to sneak him out of town after midnight? And, and uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he was right in the forefront. Can you imagine a Paul in 2019? 
they say, you know, he, he goes into Athens and he talks about, oh, I see you've got all these gods, you're such a religious people. You know, I see you got that one statue that's to the unknown God. And then he began to preach. And he told them who that unknown God was. How would it be if he rode through the streets of Holland and was pointing, I see, I see, I see, I see. You think he would confront some of the things that are going on? Not just Alma. Every, every, every town, burg, village, whatever it happens to be. Yet, men take it upon themselves to say, well, it's all right. It's okay. And, and I love when they give the excuse, it, it, it's okay because we have two morning worships and Sunday morning worships and we only use music in one way, musical instruments. What's that called? What's that called? That's called a wild marriage. It's compromising, isn't it? But it's compromising the truth. It's, it, it, it's compromising God's will. Trying to make everybody happy. Trying to make them happy. And that works for them. Worked out for them, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just like it would for, will for us. Yeah. It, it, it's not about making them happy. Okay? Now, that gets into that thing about feeling joyful and being happy. You know, I, I guarantee you those, those Sunday night scenes and everything. You talk about joy in the heart. When I go in, you know, I'm barely on the floor walking. You know, I mean, it really just lifts me up. You get all the voices blending and everything else. And and I love it when people visit that that are are used to hearing a, anything from a piano to an organ to a full blown orchestra behind them, and they'll walk out and go, "Wow, singing was beautiful." You know. Scott told the story. I can't remember the details, Tammy. You may have to help me out when the Baptist Church was getting their organ repaired. And he was over there doing something, and the repairman or whatever came in and saw him and thought he was the preacher over there and asked Scott what he wanted to do. He said, I don't care, just haul it off. I like it. And uh, they found out he wasn't the preacher, so they didn't haul it off. But. isn't it funny how people would just push the line to introduce something? Just push the line, pull the line. And, and they'll do it, and, and they're stepping up to the line and tiptoeing, and they catch you not looking, and they shift the foot a little bit more. And we caught our kids doing that. We just loved them for it, didn't we? Or we pop the little rear ends and and say, back up off that. <coughs> yet adults, leaders, are pushing for that same thing. And, and you get into the whole idea of baptism and salvation. You know, music's an issue. But you talk about an issue 
when you're talking about the salvation of a soul and you're willing to shortchange them and that's what you're doing when you're telling them all you have is a simple prayer that you have to say you know that's scary that's scary and scripture is very plain can, can, can we all agree that scripture says we're sinners we're, we're humans and we're sinners you know, everybody will accept that I think okay and, 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 and we quote or hear quoted all the time John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave what? his only begotten son and what was his son sent for? to save us to save us. And Jesus came and he died and he received a punishment not that he was needing, but he received a punishment for whom? For us. For us. He suffered and we benefited. He died so that we might live. And, and, and you get people together and read that. You can, you can read from Isaiah and 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 5 and Romans 3 and, and, and just go and everybody say, absolutely, brother. Amen, amen, amen. And then all of a sudden, you start to talk and you get serious. Romans 10 and 17. What, what does that tell us? Romans 10 and 17. What does that tell us? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, what, what does that tell you? We have to teach Scripture. We have to study scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and, and then most of them will say, okay, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, brother. We got to teach the word. We got to teach the word. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that's the great tradition. What he tells his disciples to do. He says, go and do what? Teach them and baptizing them and continue to teach them so that they might know all that I command. Pretty explicit. Now that, that was Jesus. That wasn't a committee that got together and let's, let's set out a plan on what needs to be done. He says, teach them and keep teaching them. He says, what? Baptize them and make disciples of them. Read the same thing in Mark. So, but, but people are still pretty much together. And, and then you start talking, okay, you got to believe. Okay? You got to believe. Matthew 16 16. What does it tell us?
systematic Bible study. What Matthew 16 16 tells us. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the son of the living God. Peter did what? He confessed that Christ, and he stated the belief that he had in him that he was who he said he was, and he confessed him that he was the Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everybody says, Amen, brother. I'm with you. And they understand that. Why are the gospel accounts in there? I, I think the gospel accounts are exciting reading, you know, because that's got Jesus as he's going through all of the trials that he faced and all of the things. But why, why are they in there? Because then we come to believe in Jesus. We come to believe in Jesus. That's the purpose of those gospels. And, and it's important that the gospel message that grows from that be taught to the world. Everybody says, you go, brother. And then you say, well, what about repentance? You start talking about, you know, we, we, we repent, turn away from, change, veer in a different direction so that we might go unto salvation. Okay. People say, oh, okay. And then you start talking about confession. And he says, Amen, brother. You confess. They, you, you confess. And Philip was in Acts 8, 35 through 38, when Philip was teaching the unit. He taught him, they were studying from Isaiah. He read the prophecies to him. They talked about it. They studied. And the eunuch asked him what? He says, what does hinder me from being baptized? And then what did Philip ask him? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? An old time preacher when I was growing up used to be he would read that verse and he says, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, you know, and the way they went down into the water, you know, it, it just, it rings in my ears. But they went down for what purpose? For immersion upon that confession. But that's when they don't say, amen, brother. They stand back and say, wait. And why do they say wait? Baptism is, is, is a public display to show your you know, allegiance to the church in a lot of places. That's the way it's perceived. You're not being baptized into the body of Christ. You're being baptized into that church. That's not all. That's some. And, and, and then the question comes, well, do you not believe that there is an expectation that one be washed in the blood of the Lamb to be cleansed, 
the rise of the brand new preacher, guess what? I say, no, that's not what Scripture says. Sam, I think it comes from a place of uh, being uncomfortable. And the reason it's uncomfortable is because when you get that far in the conversation, people are having to confront or examine what they perceive to be a right standing with God. Second Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And if you have to examine yourself closely, it, sometimes it frightens us to think whether or not we are or are not in the faith. And so when you're talking to someone outside of the church, you're actually confronting them with that, that uh, not confrontationally, no. but you are confronting them with the prospect of examining themselves. And that's uncomfortable. And any time we have to look inside, you see something scary. You know, you want to know the truth. Look at... Uh, Mark 16 and verse 14. It says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, that's what my book says. You may have a different version. It may word it a little bit differently. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I've had pointed out to me. You'll read in many footnotes of many Bibles that... that uh, this, pat, this from here on was, was not in the original transcripts. Now, I don't know. I've never read the original transcripts. But I say, okay. Go to Acts. We'll come back to that in a minute. Acts chapter 2. And this is where Peter delivered that sermon on that day. And, and I mean, he hammered them now. He hammered them. He gets to the part, all about verse, uh, let's start with verse 36. Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, what did he just tell them? Whom you crucified. You brought about his death. Now, what are they doing? They're sitting there going, but hey, Romans did that. You know, I didn't hammer any nails, and I didn't hold the cross up and pull the cross up. That was the Romans that did that. So how, how did they crucify him? They didn't stand up for him. 
when they were asked, who shall I release? This man called Jesus or Barabbas. What did they say? Barabbas. Man was a known thief and rebel rouser and rebel and everything else. They said, let him go. But he says, Assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Now, now that can't be denied. This, this is in other places besides the Bible. This is in extra biblical historical documents, okay? It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Now listen, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, you wouldn't buy Mark 16 because some places say this wasn't in the original transcripts. And then you get to Acts 2 and 38 and you read it and see what it says. And they have a hard time with that. But, but when it means for the remission of sins, it means you're going to be baptized you've already, because you've believed and confessed, you've already been forgiven of your sins. Now they want to argue, I don't know, what's that, syntax? What is that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a linguist at all. But whatever version you're reading, it may say for the remission of sins, it may say unto, it may say be worded more than one way. But every linguistic approach that I've ever seen written up on this passage is they said, look, you're being baptized so that you might be forgiven, that you may be, you will be forgiven of your sins. It's not something that's already happened. It's not moving you in the direction of, it's taking you straight through. And that's the way it is. So they don't trust this passage because it may not have been in the originals. And they don't want to trust this passage because they want to argue about what the meaning of the words are and how they go and, and how they flow. And you can read all of the conversion accounts in Acts and they won't pick and pull and won't put them all together. You know? What are you going to do? Well, what do we say about those that are involved in, in the restoration? They were people that were searching. They knew it wasn't right. They knew the things that they were involved with were taking them in a direction that God never intended them to be. And what were they doing? They were reading the scriptures and they were letting the scriptures speak to them rather than them speaking for the scriptures. And, and, and there's a big difference. It's a big difference. <laughs> now, speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where it's silent. You can read Romans. You can go to 1 Peter. And folks, water baptism is there. Water baptism is there. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and 
that's in scripture. And you can't change it by hiding and burying and arguing about the way the sentence is structured or anything else. That's the truth that God has given us. Sam? Yes. After that, what you said, then he adds us to his church. We're coming right to that. Because he says, can you do that what, Larry? He adds you to the church. He adds you to the body. And it doesn't matter if 75% of the people in that auditorium don't like you. It's not their choice. It's God's choice. And he adds. I, I, I cannot visualize I cannot visualize Paul with his history what it would be like I, I can't imagine myself with his history to walk into a gathering of Christ's body for the first time I, I saw the cartoon that was in the bulletin Sunday about the whole the whole church had their eyes on the visitors because they were sitting in the pew where the Martins or something had been sitting for 42 years. You know? That's kind of the feeling that I get that was like. Ah, a little bit different.